Hey, what's up? Zach Dixon here for Animalators. Welcome back to a very exciting episode of Animalators, curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show, we have Andrew Kramer, a man who probably needs no introduction, but Andrew is the founder of videocopilot.net, home of some of the best tutorials and tools out there for motion designers and visual effects artists. Andrew has also worked on a massive list of incredible films and television shows, including Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Trek, and Mission Impossible 3, to just name a few. Uh, Andrew and Video Copilot jump-started my career personally, and I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without him and his incredible tutorials. Uh, today on the show, we'll talk about his philosophy on building tools and software. Uh, we'll talk about working on fast timelines, and we'll get into what you can expect in the future for Video Copilot. I'm excited to get into all of this and more on this week's episode of Animalators. All right, well, Andrew, thanks so much for being on the show. This is incredible. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. So you're probably not a person that needs much of an introduction. I can't imagine that anyone listening hasn't heard of Video Copilot, but I would almost like to hear it in your own words because Video Copilot does so much nowadays. So what is Video Copilot? Listen, these are all great questions. No, uh, <laughs> I guess Video Copilot is a place where people can come to learn about visual effects and motion graphics. And I think the lens of Video Copilot is just different things that I see that fascinate me, things that are being created in the industry, things that we experiment with. I know it's always a challenge for me to try to create something that's either new and interesting or create a technique that is, uh, you know, an unusual technique or an unusual plugin. I think that's always been a fascination for me is to try to figure out what can be created using the sort of built-in tools of After Effects. And, you know, we've been able to turn this into uh, a business by creating software and things that I've always been excited to make and uh, I always see like a need or wouldn't be cool if there was a plugin that could do this or do that. And so it's just that natural feeling of wanna, wanting to create something new. And luckily it's been an awesome, you know, uh, opportunity to build this with a community that is, uh, helps to motivate me and I can sort of help contribute, you know, the things that I, uh, you know, endeavor towards. Yeah, I mean, you you touched on in what you just said, like you're, you're looking to create something something new, and we actually we did a panel discussion at Blend uh, Live about that that kind of very subject. But um, I'd like to maybe even circle back to that again. I mean, like how you know you sit down in the video copilot offices and. You know, maybe you've got a client project going on, but you're also working on tutorials and um, products. How do you decide what in the world you're going to work on? So we don't have a great system for this, but <laughs> I guess uh, it's always helps to focus on the thing that I think that's most interesting or different or exciting. I always feel like if it's interesting to me, then it will be interesting to other people. And, you know, as far as working on professional stuff, it's always been, whenever you work on something that's like meant to be put out there in a movie or a TV show or something, you really, you get to that next level in your own creative, you know, scape. And being able to force yourself to rise to that, that occasion essentially has always helped me when I circle back to say tutorials or uh, other things that I'm creating because I've, I've sort of pushed myself a little bit further. And now I look at something I've created and I think, you know, I wonder if I can make this even better. And, you know, naturally, I, like I remember being on the uh, beta for say like After Effects and it was always fun to, you know, suggest a feature, right? Because you're working on something and you're saying, oh, I have to do all these layers or I have to do something. Wouldn't it be great if there was just this one feature that could sort of solve these problems? And that was sort of the beginning of my interest in software development was specifically through the things that I was running into during my creative work. So you mentioned like pushing yourself. Um, could you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, could you maybe think of, of some examples where um, on, on a project you've had to kind of 
push yourself and your own skill set to the next level? Yeah, I think, you know, specifically, say, working on the Star Trek title sequence, which was, uh, I think, 2010. Yeah. And we did a sequence which was, I think it was like over two minutes long, and it didn't have any cuts. And, you know, we had to figure out what the creative was, which I never really understood that idea of like, you know, designing something before you started working on it. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, I would always just start getting in there and just work to make it better. But when we had, you know, a sequence with say 30 different titles uh, of, of actors and people that worked on the film, it was important to sort of figure out, okay, how do we design all of these? But at the same time, we are on a bit of a tight schedule. So we didn't want to design them outside of how they might be used. Hmm. And so what we ended up doing was kind of this crazy workflow, but we built the scenes uh, in, in a single comp. And then we were able to use various like expressions to create a master camera that could sort of fly around to the different 3D locations. And so essentially each one of these comps was then offset into a 3D position somewhere in space. And so when the camera's flying around, it's actually flying around in this massive 3D space, but it was easy for you to work on the design because that would be inside of a an individual comp. And so oh, wow. I guess sort of like dealing with a, si- a, you know, a project of that scale, like you have to pull out all the little tricks to, to bring it all together. Could you talk then a little bit about, you know, concept, you know, driving the tools that you're using and, and vice versa? Because I feel like they speak into each other quite a bit. Yeah, sure. And I think very specifically on Star Trek, one of the, you know, one of the challenges was simulating realistic lens flares. Oh, and yeah. the film, as as everybody knows, has this aesthetic. And <laughs> wait, wait, it has, there's lens think, flares in that movie. You're saying? Uh, I, there's people were talking about it a little bit at one point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and they were all photographic, and they really did look beautiful. And oh, yeah. you know, like from a software standpoint, there wasn't anything that could quite get that sort of anamorphic look, that that just realistic look. And what we did for the movie was we ended up sort of building sort of some custom tools and using some of the photographic elements from real lens flares and various expressions and things to link them together and create, uh, you know, a moving lens flare. But Mm -hmm. that was something that, you know, we were working on a version of the lens flare plugin. And once I finished working on that movie, it made me sort of like entirely rethink it from a standpoint of the realistic lens flare generator that, it needed to be right. Like it needed to be that step up that, that thing that, you know, we see so much more now in the industry is that, you know, with HDRI different formats where, yeah, they're slower in some cases, but it's about, it's about getting to that top tier quality. Like everything is, you know, it's like unbiased renderers and all these different things. Like it's that sort of endless goal of just having everything be, as realistic and as accurate as possible. How do you kind of fall into that? Like, because obviously you, you've created Element 3D, which is this fantastic um, way to work, you know, towards realistic visuals in After Effects, right? But it's also trying to balance this this place between like, you know, being able to work really quickly and iterate fast versus like, you know, being able to do everything at that like kind of very high end. like. It's the kind of that, like, can you still be flexible uh, and, and work quickly while also making something that is, like, very high-end? I feel like it's a really tough balance to strike, especially with tools. Yeah, well, I've been very lucky to be working on all sorts of projects. And I think that kind of gave me, like, one of the things I was kind of known for when I was working at Bad Robot on, like, Super 8, where we did about 100 visual effect shots. And oh, wow. You know, I wasn't doing a lot of 3D, uh, but I was I was handling a lot of things that, you know, how would you put this? Like I was fixing a lot of things with 2D effects, right? So like maybe a 3D track and you could take some cards. Like for example, there's a scene with a train that like shakes and there's this big rig that's shaking it. So I had to paint the rig out and then almost camera project on the side of the train And so by doing things only in a 2D world, like through After Effects, 
I was able to really, I don't know, just push my skills uh, with being able to do as much as I could in After Effects. And that meant I could get things done a lot quicker because I wasn't building things out in 3D and I wasn't doubling my workflow. And so Element kind of came along as this idea of, you know, some shots don't need a full complex 3D program to create, right? There's there's a lot of work that needs to get done on a much smaller scale. And yeah. so when I was coming up with the idea of, you know, a game engine type rendering uh, setup for, for After Effects, I guess I was more surprised at how far it could actually be taken. So it was initially something for, you know, smaller, simpler 3D, maybe graphics and things like that. But eventually it actually was able to be used in much more complex uh, scenarios. But for people who are already After Effects users, it's a huge step forward for the kinds of things that they need to create in and, and at the same time, they still have the same amount of time to create it. So it was always about giving a lot of, you know, power and control, but within the sort of comfort and simplicity of the compositing, you know, environment. So I'd like to jump back a little bit. Um, I feel like we, we all hit these points in, in our career. You, you mentioned this a little bit before where it's kind of, we're, we're leveling up. We're, we're taking a step into something that's, um, that's brand new, right? That, that maybe we'll push our skills to a place that they've never been tested to. Um, and I think for you, I think that it's fair to say that that might've been that first project with uh, bad robot back, uh, when you did the fringe title sequence. Um, so could you take us back to that time and, and talk a little bit about your, your frame of mind kind of jumping into that first project with JJ Abrams? Sure. So, uh, you know, I was doing my video co-pilot thing, making tutorials, and I got this email from him. And uh, he just sort of vaguely discussed an idea of kind of, you know, working on something together. And uh, I ended up coming out to Paramount Studios, and he showed me the show called Fringe and said, like, hey, you know, do you have some ideas on, you know, something we could do for the title sequence? And so in a way, there wasn't a lot of pressure to sort of create something. Oh, nice. But at the same time, I, it was a huge opportunity, right? So I'm yeah. thinking, all right, how do I not screw this up? <laughs> and so, you know, I'm designing, I'm working on stuff. And I guess, I, you know, I was just looking at my stuff through a lens of, this. should this be on TV? Does this deserve to be on TV, right? Mm. There, there was this sort of just maybe doubt about, you know, it's like one thing to make a tutorial and to teach some technique that is useful to more creative people, but it's another thing to say, like, here's something that I think is cool and that should be in a TV show and, you know, broadcast on TV. And so that immediately, like, I just remember being just inspired, like really greatly inspired by the opportunity. And, you know, there's something about when people, you know, have trust in you and they believe in you, like that can really be a motivating thing. And, and for me, it certainly was. And I was able to take all of that energy. And I think in just a couple of weeks, put together nearly what, you know, what we ended up finishing and broadcasting. And it was that, it was that burst of energy and that uh, trying to rise to the expectations of working on something that was like a real project different from you know, maybe corporate videos or tutorials, which I was only doing up to that point. Was there any kind of doubts or fears that you had to overcome kind of in that process on that, that new level of, of playing field, if you will? Well, at first I didn't even really know what format the, you know, a TV broadcast was supposed to be, right? Like, okay, it's <laughs> yeah. HD, uh, you know, there was, and then the whole sort of conversation about like log and linear and, uh, or is it 24 frames per second? Is it 23.976? <laughs> So there's all those, at first you're thinking you're expected to maybe know all this stuff. And yeah. so, but you don't want to, you know, you don't want to sound like you don't. So it's like, oh, we're doing this uh, 2397, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 So s certainly uh, that project was something, you know, that I guess once I, once I got that first sort of just encouragement, right? Like created a couple of the, of the slides of the episode and it was like this interesting, like, 
you know, the show's kind of science fiction. It's a little strange and, you know, it has just like some, you know, unique visuals. So once we got like a, yeah, this is, this is cool. We're going in the right direction. Like it was a big stress off of my shoulders to know that we were going the right direction. And so then, and, you know, you could really invest in all those smaller detail types of things. And, uh, you know, like you, you believed in the pathway that you were going. Definitely a big part of that was sort of like JJ's encouragement and uh, him pushing me, you know, like there's a scene where some like, there's like these almost like hair particles. Yeah. And, 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 and so I kind of put it together and it like transitions from the particles to like this fingerprint. And, and in the first version, you know, I was trying to convey the idea and I thought it was cool or whatever. And then JJ said, Hey, you know, like when we see it really close, like the texture quality kind of breaks up because we're really, really close. Like, is there a way to make this look more, uh, more realistic and crisp like that, like that macro look at something. And, and I was like, yeah, of course. So, so, you know, I get in there and I start doing some, uh, sub sample like textures and, and just even some 2d effects to add more, more detail. And again, it's like that same thing where you have it, an outside perspective that can give you some of that like creative notes, like, you know, you can get there, but you're, you know, you're focused on these other things. Uh, so sometimes having some perspective for some people that you really trust, you can push yourself even further. So you've, you've worked on just a crazy amount of, of films and television shows at this point. So what would you say looking back across them was maybe one of the most challenging projects that you've, you've worked on. Um, and could you tell us a little bit, a little bit about how you overcame those challenges uh, on that project? The most challenging film I think was star Wars, the force awakens. And uh, there's maybe a few different reasons for that, but up until that point, I was sort of leading a lot of the creative on things. So I got roped into projects that for the most part I could handle on my own, right? Maybe I have, one of my guys do a 3D model. Maybe I have some help compositing uh, a few shots here and there. But overall, I always sort of looked at every project as, okay, I'm responsible for everything, you know, end to end. Yeah. So when that film came along, there was a lot of work that needed to get done. So I knew that there was going to have to be some additional sort of creative people on board. And that's something I frankly hadn't had that much experience with especially on a project with that kind of a scope. So at first, uh, I was able to bring on a few designers and compositors. And as we went along, we, you know, we started doing a good job and that was always good, right? We started getting a couple <laughs> of shots finaled. And then suddenly, uh, we got hit with a whole new sequence, you know, another, I think it was another like 30 shots, right? Oh, wow. And it was Which a whole new design. So that sequence was... It was the, what was that called? I think this was the Starkiller base sequence. This was the sequence okay. where they're looking at the big map and, you know, everybody's pointing to where they're going to attack. And I don't think that was part of our original, uh, our original slate of shots. And so we were already really working hard to get to that end goal. And then we, we you know, got to work on that sequence, which is, you know, one of our favorite sequences that we ended up working on. But, uh, you know, uh, I would say that guys like Jace Hansen and, uh, you know, Ryan and like the people who we were working on all the holograms with, it was only about like six people. But the challenge, of course, is how do you scale the quality of design? How do you distribute the work to everybody? And, you know, it wasn't at, for me, it was a challenge, certainly in the beginning because you're designing something and then you're saying, okay, let's go distribute that to these 10 shots, right? But then the shot might be different. So what is the look of the shot uh, from this angle? Does that need to be creatively designed? And then, you know, how much do you trust other people to make sure that it matches and goes through? And probably I was wrong to, uh, you know, assume that, you know, these other really talented people couldn't get that level of quality. And so at first I was probably a little bit more precious about things than I should have been. 
And as soon as, you know, these guys started taking on some more of the shots, it was like a miracle, right? Like suddenly <laughs> you're, you're, you're just like, you're blown away. You're seeing not only are these guys doing stuff, uh, you know, just as good, but they're doing stuff even better. Mm-hmm. And that was a big, you know, as someone who always kind of works on stuff by himself, it was such a big leap forward for me in seeing what is possible. Like, I guess I'm a, I was sort of a creative director in a sense. And being able to rely on the talents of our whole team, not only was it critical, but it showed me what was possible through, like, you just, as an individual, you have limits. You can only do so much. And I've kind of got myself into a bit of trouble because of that. And I'm only sort of now (laughs) beginning to dig myself out of that. You know, it works as an individual, but once you start doing things that are more ambitious and, you know, especially working on a movie where quality expectations are so high that, you know, then you circle back to do something else, you think, oh yeah, I could do that. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, I got to make sure to fix this and fix that and fix that because now you know better. You know, maybe that's, that's the, that's the advice is like make a film and, you know, create something before you know better because then you'll be tinkering away (laughs) endlessly. Well, yeah. And I feel like just that process of, of working with other people and leading other people, I think is, is a really difficult thing. Like, I feel like sometimes it can just be like, ah, like, you know, it'll just be easier for me to do this myself than to explain it to you. Um, or like to kind of work with you to kind of bring that all together, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that, that was exactly what I was suffering from. And I've learned, well, first of all, giving people a chance, right? Giving people an opportunity to, to rise to that occasion is only going to benefit you in the long run, right? It's, it's like you can try to, you know, do everything or to direct everything, but until you really free people to be their own sort of creative artist, you're you're really hindering them. You're holding holding them back. It's like you ever heard of that idea where you know, like you're doing a creative thing, right? And you're saying, okay, we just we worked on this and we love it and check it out. And then your client is like, um, can you make that you know two pixels smaller and can you make <laughs> that blue? And then no, don't. And so you get to the point where the creative juices and energy of the designer is just completely gone. They're just, they're just now a robot and you're, yeah. you have to direct every single thing. And that's, that's not where you want to be certainly on creative work. And it's kind of the same way when you work with creative people, you know, you have to trust them and, uh, and that can be hard. And it was for me, but it was definitely a huge thing to overcome that. So Let's let's shift back a little bit to um, tutorials and and kind of where where you all began. So I mean, there's obviously this this popular saying, which I think is a little bit ridiculous: "Those who can't do teach," um, which I think certainly is not not true in in your case. But could you talk a little bit about um, you know you kind of started your career as a, a teacher and 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 kind of. Now you're doing both. You're teaching and you're also working on literally the biggest films that there are. Sure. When I first started doing tutorials, I was also learning After Effects. And so it was an interesting dynamic because I might see the community discussing, you know, camera shake or camera projection or some thing. And for me, it was fun to look into those different subjects and see, could, is there something that I could add to that? Is there something that I could figure out that would make that easier or uh, more approachable? And so it's interesting because I was just showing people things that I had just learned, right? And certainly in the, in the beginning tutorials, you can see that, right? I'm sort of going through the program and showing you what I'm learning. And as I begin to get more comfortable with the software, and I think I did some work for a studio one time and it was very mundane, like uh, film restoration work. And I learned all the shortcuts, which was like super awesome, right? You can navigate (laughs) the program without having. And so then when you start doing more ambitious, creative stuff, you can fly through the program. So as I, as I got a little better at the program, um, maybe about two years ago or whenever that was, I started... (laughs) really pushing my uh, my tutorials as well. I think 
like the After Effects community, right, is is very vibrant, right? People, there's professionals that know After Effects and they still come and check out video copilot tutorials because I try to create something that is not just for say beginners, but also hide in like interesting tricks that even people are who are doing, you know, design and high-end stuff can work into their workflow. And so I've always wanted to maintain that balance. Like I didn't want to be mm. a website for just beginners. I wanted it to be for people who are just looking to get better at After Effects and to be able to spend the time uh, investigating one specific thing, right? And learn everything I can about that and to create a tutorial for it. That's not something that everybody has time to do. Certainly not people who are working in the very fast paced, you know, design and visual effects scene. So my, my efforts really, uh, I guess were rewarded by the sort of the feedback of the community and the growth of the community. And because of that, I was able to keep being inspired by that. Right. So even today, like I've got a couple of tutorials that I'm excited to show people because they're things that that you could have probably done 10 years ago in After Effects, but only now sure. me coming back to those plugins and seeing seeing them through the lens of my own experiences and my own professional work. And I can now look and say, oh, I've got a really cool technique that is not as obvious, but it'll be really useful to people. And that's, yeah. that's what makes it fun for me. So looking back on, on kind of when you just got started making tutorials on Video Copilot, what was your goal when you set out? And I'm also curious kind of how that goal shifted over the years. At first, it was, it was the idea of creating, creating a community, right, around learning After Effects. And at first, I think we had like five tutorials and we had... Uh, maybe some like presets for sale, like some color presets for sale. And I thought, hey, you know, maybe I can make some designs or maybe I could, you know, make some some design kit or something uh, that people might want to buy and use in their, in their work or something like that. And I've always been into sort of filmmaking and, you know, action movies and things like that. And one of the products that we developed was called uh, Action Movie Effects. That was sort of inspired by... This time I worked at a studio and they had these cool, you know, pre-shot elements of like smoke and you could composite them into your shots. And that was just such a cool concept to me. But all of the solutions out there for filmmakers, say like Art Beats or places like that, I mean, it was like $500 for a single clip. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, yeah, that is insane. And I guess what I was trying to do with Video Copilot is see how could I take some more of that high-end stuff and bring it down and make it more available to, to everyone, right? Because having a cool explosion or even sound effects and music, these were these things mm -hmm. that were so expensive in the industry. Like I remembered, you know, one, one music track, right? You know, it's $400, it's $500. There was just a level of entry that was way higher than I thought it needed to be. And that was sort of my you know, my approach to the business side. And, you know, as far as video copilot as a whole, it was always important to me that we had real value on the website, right? So whether it's something like our Sabre plugin or our tutorials or FX console, we always wanted to have legitimate stuff for people to, to use in their own work and not feel like they always had to buy a plugin. And even with our tutorials, like I pride myself to try to create tutorials that don't require any third-party plugins, even though we do sell some, we want to be able to inspire people with what they have already. So as you were kind of going along creating, you know, some plugins and tutorials, were you also trying to like, I don't know, kind of find your way into um, more and more client work? Or is that just something that kind of happened as a side effect of, of what you were working on? Yeah, I was doing commercials and, you know, like uh, corporate videos and things like that. I did a couple of like, I worked at a couple of visual effects studios, but I guess there wasn't, like it was never that exciting, right? Because I don't think mm -hmm. I was good enough at that time. So I was always getting really kind of mundane types of jobs that just weren't as exciting for me. So 
I, you know, it wasn't really until I got hooked up with JJ that I was able to, you know, be excited about that kind of client work. Uh, so for Video Copilot, you know, I was, you know, I was in my early 20s or so. And so I mean, it was 2005. So I didn't really feel any kind of like pressure to have a job. Like I, I was always just sort of like doing <laughs> stuff and that was good enough, I guess. Well, how about now then? Do you feel, I mean, because you're, you're working on these massive movies, but then you also have, you know, Video Copilot, a bunch of products and tutorials. How do you kind of manage that like pushing and pulling of your time? Well, I guess I, I look at it like this. Like I feel so lucky to be in the space that I'm in because on the one hand, I have, you know, like I have a business around the tools that we sell, right? Element 3D, optical flares and stuff like that. And at the same time, we we try to just flow our energy into the things that are exciting, right? Like, for example, we have things like the Sabre plugin, right? That was something that I just thought, hey, this is a cool thing. I want to make this thing. And so there's always something that's interesting to me. And I don't think, I don't just think about everything as like, okay, how do we run the business? All right, is this our third quarter of profits? How do we get our product out in 18 months? <laughs> like, that's just not the way I approach it. And in a way, I, I guess looking back at it, it's like, I feel like that's really served our brand and and the philosophy of Video Copilot because we don't make that the sort of first priority of the things that we do. We try to say, hey, the new version of Element 3D isn't just a few new buttons and a new logo, right? This is a this is a whole new version of Element that is going to have uh, dramatic new features. Like we don't want to just create a new version just to sort of appease the the calendar. Right. We want to be sure. motivated by, you know, next generation technology. Like with Element 2, we added like physical based shaders, which was a really yeah. exciting thing. And that's just how we, even to this day, like the couple new plugins we're working on that, like the new version of Element, for example, there are just features yeah, in tell there. Tell us about it. Yeah. Well, let me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's just features in there that, uh, one, are designed around professional use, like people needing to achieve specific things while in the plugin. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I don't know, for instance, like the ability to slice a model, right? So that you don't have to bring it into another program and, and, and cut it. How about FBX support with, you know, animation and motion blur? Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of cool features. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Well, I'll tell you one that is really cool, which is uh, it's called I don't know what it's called, but it's a real-time <laughs> it's a real-time refractive mode. So, oh wow, you can create things kind of like uh, like you know, like in Jurassic Park, he holds up the piece of amber, and inside it is the you know the mosquito, and it's kind of distorted and you know refractive inside of it. Mm -hmm. So, the new version we have a mode that allows you to create uh, a refractive material in real time, which is great for like ice or you know even it could be even used for things that appear to be underneath your skin. So it's a really just, it's wow, a rendering cool. technique that is really, really cool. So there's a shot in Intercept. I think there was like this kind of like at the end, there was like a little um, under the skin UI type thing. Uh, was that, was that element? Oh, or was that just oh wait, uh, yeah, yeah. You're talking about, you're talking about Ryan Connolly's uh, short film Sentinel. So, oh yes, that, my bad, my bad. Luckily we didn't have to do any of the UI graphics. Uh, that's actually something we should talk about. Uh, so this past November, Ryan hit me up and he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm working. I'm gonna, I'm getting ready to work on this short film. Uh, it's about this like spaceship drone, and you know, and I was like, oh, this is really cool, you know. And he's like, it's firing, and there's like all these shots and all this cool stuff. I'm like, man, sounds like a lot of work, but uh, sounds cool. <laughs> and so I offered. I said, hey, well, listen, let me uh, let me design the drone for you. Like, let me design the ship. And you know, we have this new 3D model." kit that we're working on, which is, uh, you know, it's good for like making like space stations and, you know, sci-fi oh, type really? of things. Yeah. And ah, so we've got a project that we're going to use that on. Oh, I'm so excited. All right. Yeah. Now we're talking. I'll, I'll, yeah. Right after the podcast. Yeah. And <laughs> I, so I said, yeah, let me, let me design that for you. Right. I want to try to be, be a good friend and that'll be fun for us. Good experiment, good test for our, our product. And, uh, so then about, I don't know, a month later he calls me up. He's like, Andrew, uh, my visual effects artist has disappeared. <laughs> I'm just like, 
Uh oh. And uh, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how much of the story I, I should say here. But basically, he he just disappeared, and uh, and you kidnapped him. Is what? Oh yeah, no! Is no, that no, why no. you don't want to go into? No, I called the FBI. We're trying to track him down. So Ryan is basically <laughs> saying, "Hey, I've got." 25 visual effects shots and I'm filming, you know, tomorrow, is there anything that you could do to sort of help out? And, you know, he just sort of was jammed up and I thought, you know what, let's talk about what do you, what, what do we actually need? And so we ended up saying, okay, we'll do all of the drone, all of the explosion shots. And I think there was about 25 shots and uh, we did them in about a little over two weeks. And so from designing the drone compositing into the shots. You know, we had to come up with a whole workflow around sharing the shots, reviewing the shots, you know, getting the look to development. And so that was probably the most ambitious project that was in a short period of time that I wanted. Yeah, that's that's crazy fast. Yeah. Was there a lot of people, a lot of team like involved in the visual effects side or was it mostly just you? So on that project, I was able to work with two of my guys at Video Copilot, Taylor and Dustin, and they were able nice. to just... Like they made it possible. So they were doing all the tracking and they were doing the um, compositing of our explosion elements. And luckily we had some explosion elements from some other video co-pilot uh, wares uh, that we'll pedal at another time probably. But uh, <laughs> it was, again, this is what we love is we love to yeah. take the things that we create and put them into a real world project and see how they, you know, do they work? Can we key these explosions out to work in a shot like this. And that, that short was, you know, one of these incredible uh, challenges to achieve. And, you know, we were able to pull it off and, and even, even do a few extra shots, like, you know, the drone sort of flying overhead and things like that, just to, um, you know, feel it out a little bit more. So that was a, that was a fun project. Do you feel like there's anything that you approach things differently when the when the timeline is so short? Because I feel like we all get those jobs, right? Where it's just like, you know, this would be really cool, but we only have two weeks. Sure. Yeah. We well, we wanted to figure out, you know, what happens in visual effects, right? It's like the review process, the continuity, right? Those are the two things where you're having something that is appearing in multiple shots, and then you also want to be able to send them over for review. Now, usually if you work on something, you know, it's like five or 10 shots, you know, are you going to even come up with a number, you know, a naming convention? You might just, you know, call it the project and shot number, but we legitimately had different sequences. And so we said, let's actually do a real naming convention and we'll get a tracker going. And, you know, in those late nights, it's really nice to have a list of shots, what their status is you know, what version has been rendered and things like that. And so as we began working on the shots, the big thing that we did was uh, review them as a team, right? So we would bring them in, play them back, kind of back to back, look at them, take notes on them. Um, You know, we have like a big TV screen. And when you play back your composite that you've been working on, your monitor, you know, your 24-inch monitor, and you play back on a big screen, uh, you know, you can't really hide stuff, right? Like, matte edges and, you know, noisy keys or things like that. So it was great to be able to look at them as a whole and then talk about the things that perhaps needed to be improved. I mean, I think there was some shots that had maybe 10 or 15 versions. And even if it's minor stuff, uh, it was, it was, it was good as a whole to look at them because then everybody could pass those changes into their own work, right? Like when you have these Mm -hmm. dust explosions or these dirt explosions, you want to have a continuity in how they look. Do they look more dark and chunky or do they look more dusty and, uh, you know, soft? And it's like the more times you render something out, even if it's not finished, you just get a better sense of the project as a whole. Um, and, And that reminds me of something like with one of our plugins, FX Console, there's this feature for people that know it's like a plugin for After Effects that allows you to quickly access different plugins from the keyboard. But it also has this screenshot feature and it's handy just to sort of take a snapshot of your comp. And, you know, if you open up a new project and take a screenshot, you're able to compare the screenshots of other, you know, projects that you had open. And there's something about seeing a lot of your work uh, spread across multiple projects that just gives you a better sense for that project as a whole. 
And I think part of our like daily review of VFX gave us all that sort of satisfaction and, and understanding of, you know, what things should look like and what we should sort of gravitate towards. Like we want everything to feel like it exists in the same space. So were these review sessions just with you and your team or was Ryan also a part of that? For the visual effects, it was just our team. And then we would send them over to Ryan and, you know, and he would, uh, he would make some good notes. He would be able to work directly with those guys on the shots that they were working on. I was doing most of the yeah. drone shots. And uh, so cool. we could all keep moving forward without, uh, you know, anyone getting left behind. So I'd like to talk about your own kind of personal skill development for a bit. Cause you, you've kind of got your hand in a lot of different, different things. I mean, you're, you're directing a, a new project um called intercept but then you know you're also managing software teams and um visual effects um that's a lot of different things to kind of be running at the same time and kind of um i don't know your own personal skill development in that way so how do you kind of manage um i don't know kind of all those different things on the on different fronts well the trick is to really want to ruin your whole life (laughs) Yeah, uh, I, I guess what I would say is it doesn't always like like you don't necessarily plan things out to be that way, right? You're mm, yeah, you're excited to work on projects, and you know you start working on something uh, like Intercept, which is like this project that has taken my skills and my sort of overall sort of scope of visual effects and has raised it quite a bit, and even just like filming it and doing the whole work on it. But it's also it's also shown sort of like my limitations as like a filmmaker and un- like mm. it made me really appreciate all the different levels of work that go into something um, like a film. And it's easy to look at something and think, okay, that's just a trivial thing, and you know we'll we'll just deal with that. But when you're talking about a bunch of visual effects and you want to have the continuity, like I would even say that. The short film I worked on with Ryan benefited greatly from the workflow that we've finally figured out on the visual effects for Intercept, which are a little bit more involved, but it's kind of like you need to know what the goal is, right? And I think maybe that's what I didn't quite have at first was what was the expectation of the visual effects uh, when I first started and then when I was able to finally get time to work on it what were my expectations then? And hopefully we're all getting better at doing visual effects. And so when you get back to something, you think, wow, I could make this much better or this should be like this. And I think one of the lessons I learned, and I've talked about this a little bit, which is you can really spend a lot of time making something a little bit better. And it took me quite a while to sort of, uh, you know, to sort of just understand how that was not as helpful to me, you know, and especially (laughs) with the software development, right? Because I have a staff and a whole team and uh, a business and a company. And obviously I care about it a lot. Like I care about making good tutorials. Like, and I didn't want to just make something uninspired and just throw it out there just because I'm busy and, you know, like everything I want to be as good as possible. And, you know, that can have its own sort of damaging effects on, uh, you know, your life basically. But yeah, you know, in a way I was, you know, I would get into some really good grooves where you say, okay, these four days I'm going to, you know, focus on the software part. We're going to, you know, we're going to have this goal, get to this point. And to me, the software stuff is maybe a, a little bit easier, although it requires a ton of work because you can, you know, you can work on it and have specific challenges and goals in mind. And then with, say, something creative like a short film, you know, you might come back to that after four days and kind of have like, you know, might be inspired by another thing. And the problem is probably because there's a lot of visual effects and you can always kind of make the visual effects side of things a little bit more complicated than they need to be just because it's fun or because there's that, there's that saying, you know, which starts kind of like this, wouldn't it be cool if... <laughs> So I guess ultimately, uh, you know, we're, we're finally, you know, jamming really, really well. And I'm not going back and sort of rehashing, you know, what could, what could be in these shots. And now it's just sort of like jamming through them. And, you know, as I said, with the software, 
in a way, they kind of go together, right? You're working on visual effects yeah. and you say, oh, you know what? You know what I need? I need to be able to do stretched out reflections on the road or I need to be able to do a better looking glow in a scenario like this. So the benefit, um, and, and I guess in a way, this is just sort of our, our story at Video Copilot, is we take the projects that we work on and we try to find all the gaps and all the corners of things that are slowing it down or interrupting it or not looking as good as it can be and finding ways to either build them into tutorials or build them into plugins or build them into some kind of valuable content that can actually benefit the community, right? Like we don't just learn these tricks and, you know, keep them for ourselves. We want to try to spread them out there to people who can also benefit from them. So you touched on this a little bit when, when you're working on a specific visual effects shot, I mean, you know, in, in the short film um, that we were just talking about, you said you had, you know, there's quite a few shots to work on and only a certain amount of time. And as you said, like you can always make things a little bit better, but how do you know when you should stop doing that? Like stop, <laughs> you know, just tweaking a little thing here and like, ah, you know, really there would be a little rim light on that, yeah. that little leaf over yeah. there. Um, how do you well, know? This is an awesome question. And one I've essentially grappled with over my own short film. And I, I think the answer is in a lot of, you know, in a lot of the advice that you hear from other creative people out there. And it's when you work on something that has a deadline, right? Like my friend's short film, you can, Look at the time you have and say, how, how good can we make this in two weeks, right? So in that short, there's these drones that are flying around. And one idea was to have uh, like smoke coming out of the exhaust of the ship and it kind of propelling its way through space. But to do a simulation with smoke and particles and things like that, it just wasn't feasible with the time we had. We didn't want to have something in the short that sort of broke the illusion, right? We didn't want to have that one thing that just kind of made it look bad. And so we actually decided that what if we just did something like heat distortion, right? We just added like a, a glaze of energy. Uh, and that way we didn't have to do as much work, but it would, it would still look really good. And we've all seen, you know, sci-fi movies where things are propelled by an invisible field. So it wasn't outside yeah. of the realm of you know, the visual landscape, but at the same time, it was very much a decision based on the fact that we didn't have a lot of time. And so when you can make those decisions as to what is the, what is the legitimate best quality, best outcome we can get in this amount of time. And you, and you really just have to stick to those parameters because yes, you will go and you'll say, Hmm, I'm going to make this shot a little bit better and I'm going to do this thing, right? That's going to happen. Creative people, you cannot stop that from happening. But you need to have a good baseline. And for me, my sort of uh, failure was that one, I didn't quite have a deadline for it, right? And then once I got interrupted into sort of like my obligations, like working on a movie that has a deadline, and I'm like, that, you know, unfortunately had to take sort of precedent. And then when I come back to mm. it, you're thinking, well, what is my ceiling now? Right. Because my ceiling, yeah. even if it's a little bit higher, that's an exponential amount of work that needs to sort of be distributed into all of the shots. So for me, my next project, right, I would want to have a more realistic expectation of what I was going to put into it and have a realistic amount of time to do that and then stick to it. And I think with Intercept, I didn't give myself a legit enough time to do what I had planned. And by the time I came back to it, the expectations for it, you know, and how much, how much better it could be. It, it just, it was just a difficult thing to feel like, okay, uh, now people are going to expect it to be even better now that it's this late and that sort of, you know, wanting to be a showman and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, more pressure on yourself. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's, it's good in a way that it sort of pushes you. But I think what I've learned is that you want to be realistic be honest with yourself and understand what you're capable of and stick to that, uh, even though I'm not a good example of that. <laughs> <laughs> so looking forward kind of at, at your future, do you see more uh, directing kind of in that future? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like this has been, I mean, definitely one of the funnest things I've been able to work on. 
And I, I feel like the things I've learned from this, like that was always the hope was to work on some short films, work out, you know, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And, uh, you know, find a way to be a better filmmaker on something, you know, simple, like a short film. Now, maybe it didn't quite work out that way in this case, but I still see, uh, future short films that are going to be way more manageable just because of everything I've already learned. And, you know, there's something fun about making a film, you know, even from the sort of visual standpoint, the creative standpoint of the visual effects and the design, it's a fun, you know, it's a really fun art. And I'd love to be able to do that more. And at the same time with our software and stuff, we, you know, we want to see what things we can, you know, create to solve some of the, you know, challenges of a different visual effects landscape. Like this is kind of a car based realistic based one, but what kind of challenges would it be to do say like a sci-fi space, you know, like, whatever the landscape is, something different, something that'd be fun. So with kind of eyeing up doing more directing in the future, have you uh, experimented with kind of writing at all? Has that been something you've been working on? Yeah, I, I definitely do quite a bit of writing and uh, I try to stick to things like specific scenes. Hmm. Find that, you know, it's always a good idea is always great, but I find that the things that really make a good movie stand out is like those great scenes and the way that they start and the way that they open up and the way that the audience is sort of introduced to the elements of the scene and the different, you know, adversarial positions of the people in the scene. Like I've always been fascinated at how much tension and energy can be in a scene with two people talking. And, you know, as much as I love the visual effects thing, I think I've kind of fallen into that trap sometimes of being, you know, excited by something that you can create visually but definitely in the past, you know, couple of years, I've realized that one, that the films that make me the most excited are the films that have those sort of just intense scenes that just draw you in. And then, you know, the action and all that kind of stuff around it, I feel like that stuff is great. But without those really strong scenes, it's just not, it's just not worth it. So can you give us any kind of like sneak peek at, at anything you're you're working on and, and coming out with soon from Video Copilot? I think the big thing we're working on right now uh, are a couple of new tutorials, which are uh, going to be fun. But there is one thing that I feel like is worth mentioning, which is this, uh, why would I put this? It's like this alien transmission plugin. And this is sort of like this idea of, audio spectrums and the different unique properties of audio analysis. Very cool. And so we've built this plugin that kind of creates a, uh, an interesting patternization and animation based on that. And it's something we're probably just going to make for free and uh, get it out there. But it's just one of those cool things that you could use for some UI design or you could use it for like a glitch effect. Um, it's just a unique thing that doesn't look like a fractal noise. It doesn't look like anything... Uh, that you would just create in After Effects. So we thought it would be a fun thing to, uh, you know, give away and see what people could do with it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like one of the things that you've been able to accomplish with a lot of your tools, and I think this is something that we we all struggle with, is trying to get away from the look of a tool or maybe even a tutorial specifically. And, and it almost becomes like this, like, I don't know, the tool, uh, ideally you want your tools to kind of fade into the background and, and what you're trying to create comes into the shot. And I imagine that's really challenging to kind of create a tool that can almost be invisible. Is that something that you think about when when creating your tools at Video Copilot? Yeah, absolutely. You don't want, as there's a broad range of creative needs in our industry, right? And oh, yeah. I joke about, you know, things like videos on the gas station pump and not everything is, uh, you know, a Martin Scorsese film. You know, some things just got to get done. And so yeah. I, I try not to be, you know, I don't know, judgmental about like what people do and what things need to get done because you could say, hey, look at this guy. He used the default lens flare. But at the same time, there's some creative person, you know, director or somebody who's like, hey, use that lens flare. It's awesome. And <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. So... Uh, for my uh, for my work, I definitely try to 
create things that don't give away, you know, that it was a specific plugin. And I think there's a lot of tricks to achieving that. You know, we see this a lot with, you know, maybe the overuse of it at times, but like things like chromatic aberration Mm -hmm. is a really useful thing to just take the edge off some of the digital work. And so you can't really tell necessarily, was it 3D created in Cinema 4D or Octane? You know, you have a little bit of this, you know, camera simulation, film grain, and you can really just let the work stand on its own. And Mm -hmm. even when I do stuff with, say, lens flares, I try to create a custom lens flare, or I try to just use, like, instead of a flare, I might just kind of create, like, an off-camera, like, glow effect with just a few blurry layers, like enough to give it dimension, but not to be a specific lens flare. And I think you can take that approach with all of the different things that you do is it's just a little bit of extra effort to just take it, you know, and make it your own. Well, we try to end each episode with the same few questions. So the first one is who is your dream client? Um, I mean, obviously you've gotten to work with, you know, some pretty awesome clients, um, but maybe one that you haven't worked with before. Yes. Oh, this is a good question. You know, I almost feel like it would be interesting to work for somebody like Elon Musk, you know, somebody outside of the creative, you know, sphere, but, you know, people who have like a different perspective on the world. That seems like it would be an interesting to challenge to, uh, you know, rise to the occasion of somebody who is uh, sending things to Mars. All right. Next question. Your favorite animated film. Oh, favorite animated film. I think it's probably Tangled. Does that count as animated, 3D animated? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, one watching it with my kids uh, made it extra fun. But I just feel like of all the, uh, you know, I would say maybe a second place is uh, How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, those, Those two films just felt like they didn't rely on, you know, the typical tropes and things that make make animated movies fun. It felt like they, mm-hmm. they, they went a little deeper and, you know, touched on th- some things that like made me just say, wow, that was really awesome. Next question. What do the people you love think that you do at work all day? Um, my kids think I just work on star Wars all day. Somewhat accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I think my wife has a pretty good idea of what I'm doing all day. And, uh, I don't know any any uh, fun stories from like family reunions or anything like that. Trying to, you know, like this is uh, this is Andrew and he uh, he runs the internet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's always interesting, sort of, you know, what people think you do, you know, when you work on a movie. Mm-hmm. And um, in a way, like I don't want to like ruin the dream for other people that think like, oh, you work on a movie. I'm like, yeah, I haven't slept in two days and I'm addicted <laughs> to coffee. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes, you know, you throw in a, a cool story about, you know, something exciting, but again, it's it definitely, it is fun. It's just like, sometimes it's a little, the crazy side of work is not always the most obvious side, but yeah. So, all right. Last question. What animal did you choose for your animal later and why? I chose a raven and one, because I thought it would be cool to animate and also because Video Copilot has like a flying connection and because of uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, nice. You know, Zach, actually, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions because- Oh yeah, please do. I've listened, to, I've listened to the podcast a few times, but I've also thought, what is Zach Dixon doing these days? So, <laughs> uh, well, first of all, let's just jump on this sort of like more recent thing. There's this game called Bouncy Smash. Yes, sir, up. there is. What like what do you what's your role what's what do you what is this all about? Um, yeah, so actually, Bouncy Smash has been just kind of this like after hours project that I've been. Oh man, I've been working on it for the last like three years. Oh, it almost started as this kind of like way to teach myself to code because um, I've always wanted to build things. Um, and yeah, and so I just kind of had this project that I latched onto, and then over time brought our team in um, to kind of help out and bring it um, to be what it is today. And actually, just launched on the App Store um, about a week ago. So yeah, the the twentieth, we got a got a little feature from Apple, which was awesome. Um, yeah, and 
we're going to keep working on it too and keep keep making it better, more fun, add more levels, all that good stuff. So, so. you you programmed it? Uh, did you use like Unity yeah. or something like that? Yep. Yeah, it was built on Unity. Um, I did like I don't know, probably ninety percent of the code, uh, and then we brought in some. We brought in a guy named Jeff to, who helped out with um, kind of all the back end, like you know, Facebook leaderboards and mm-hmm. accounts and iCloud and all that stuff. That is still very much over my head. Um, but yeah, so we're kind of starting this little bit of a kind of interactive um, division of IV, um, and and we've kind of got some some big plans moving forward um, with what we'd like to do with it. Well, that seems like something that is like a cool call to action, like call to like your calling card, right? Like that you created this app for the app store that's successful and people are liking it. Like, does that seem like something you would want to do for other clients or is it just something that is your passion project that you've yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a mix as we move forward. I, I'd love to work with um, other franchises, and, and we're in discussion with a, with a couple of them uh, right now. But we'd also love to continue to fund and create kind of our own intellectual property and, and work kind of on our own projects as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll definitely take the right partnerships to kind of come along um, to make those things happen. But um, yeah, we're just we're just trying to pursue things that... that um, I don't know. We've really enjoyed client work and, and still are, that's going to be a major part of our business and is still what pays all of our bills at this point. Um, Wait, you're not making money from the Animalators podcast? I yeah. thought we were making the big cash right here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you know, you have to pay me to be on the show. No, um, so by the way, so how does that work? Like how, how does Animalators say fit into this, you know, world of the things that you do? And sure. you know, what do you think about for the future of this podcast? You know, I mean, it's it's evolved a little bit over over the years. I mean, it started out as um, actually kind of like Ash Thorpe's podcast was something that I really enjoyed, and he was kind of winding that down. Um, and I didn't ever think I could, you know, kind of fill that gap. I mean, a- Ash is kind of a legend of the, of the industry, and I'm mm-hmm. I was I was and still am very much a, a newcomer, n- newbie kind of guy. But but I think that perspective in itself was was somewhat valuable too, as long as I, you know, came at it from that approach. And and um, I don't know. I just am am curious by nature, and and I wanted to talk to uh, people such as yourself that inspire me and uh, that I look up to and that, that I hope to learn from and then um, kind of turn that around and share that with the community. Um, yeah. And so I've, I've through it, I've been able to meet tons of great people. Um, we've, we've built a little bit of a, a following around that, um, which is, has been very helpful, opened up a lot of doors. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and, think- and just, just a way to kind of give back a little bit. Oh, dude, right on. And you know, you, Something about what you said, like, just kind of reminded me of sort of the world that we exist in, right? Like this sort of digital online world, Twitter, Instagram, and there's not really a lot of places where people are, you know, where you have that more free flowing conversation. You know, we're all sort of Mm. hidden behind the personality of our avatar. Not everybody has a platform where you can say like, hey, what's this guy about? What's this guy like? And so this seems like one of the few cool things where you can actually uh, let things just kind of play out and uh, people can't hide behind their avatar and pretend to be cool all the time. Totally. And and I also think it's a way to, I, I don't know, I think there can, it can be kind of scary. Like, I don't know, it, it seems kind of silly to say it, but like to, to make creative work. I mean, I think we put so much of ourselves into what we do because um, we're passionate about it and it's really fun. Um, and there's something about making something that, that feels very personal. And because of that, I think it opens you up to a lot of like thoughts of like self-doubt and like, am I good enough? Um, and I think that like one of the ways that we can help combat that and, and kind of um, – I don't know, encourage the community is just to like talk about our own stories and our, in our own way that we've figured out how to make it in this business and, and make a living. Um, and so I kind of wanted to just be always a voice of, you know, positivity and, and hope kind of in the industry of just being like, you know, there isn't one way there, there isn't, it's not all about, you know, skill as much as we, we want it to be. There's, there's an element of like who, you know, and luck and timing. And, and I think that comes out when, um, we hear other people's stories and we, we hear about their experiences kind of stepping back from that, like polished, 
um, you know, portfolio and Instagram effect like you were talking about? Oh, you know, this is something I have thought a bit about too, where, you know, a lot of artists are, you know, they're freelancers or they're working from home. And so, you know, there's this sort of like, you know, you're putting on this show of who you are and what you represent. Like imagine you're Skyping into a conference call with a big client, you know, and you turn your webcam on and you clean your desk off and you fix the background, you put a plant in the background. <laughs> like yeah. we, we all sort of, in a way, you know, when you don't work at a studio with other artists and things like that, you sometimes kind of lose that connection to the people that you're with. And, you know, there's just a little something that can sometimes be lost when you're always mm -hmm. putting on that show of, of being that professional designer that you're plugging in. And, uh, you know, it's good to have places where people can kind of go hang out and, and actually connect to other artists who are doing yeah. the same thing. Yep. No, definitely. Um, and one last thing, Zach, uh, is there anything that you want your audience to know more about you? Because we're dying to know. Oh, wow. Um, that's, that's tough. I mean, um, Oh man, I got to think about that. Are you are you have any you have any kids by by chance? I I do have a kid. I uh Isabella is 7 months old right now. Um and she is uh, we call her Busy Izzy because <laughs> she is very very busy and um much like her father must always be working on and getting into something. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, it's a, it's a new adventure and we are just, you know, figuring it out every day. Well, we're always looking for something in our lives to motivate and inspire us. And that definitely sounds like something that will help you for sure. Yeah, man. Well, uh, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was awesome to have you. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Animalators is created by the team at IV, recorded in the Weld Nashville studio and produced by Chad Michael Snavely. Our theme music is composed by Cody Fry. To keep up with the work we're doing at IV, visit iv.studio or follow us on Twitter at Identity Visuals. You can also follow Animalators on Twitter at Animalators to keep up with all of the new episodes. And be sure to check out animalators.com to see every animation from all of our guests. To find out more about Andrew and Video Copilot, head to videocopilot.net or follow Andrew on Twitter at Video Copilot. Well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure and join us next time for another episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Animalators.